Hey, what's up? Welcome to Cheers to Beers. I'm your host, Jess Keller-Poole, and thanks for hanging out today, tonight, whenever it is. I'll be real with you guys. I have been doing Sober October, and it has been a challenge. I chose quite the October to decide to not drink. So, however, I did allow myself to have a beer or two on the day of this record. And uh, it was just because it was the one I was excited about. I wasn't going to not drink with this person. That'd be insane. On my beer podcast? No. So this episode, I'm joined by my co-host, Shauna Cormier. And we sat down. Well, I sat down. She telecommuted uh, with Michael Dempster of Mirage Beer. This is an episode I've been wanting to do for a little while, so I was pretty excited that we got a chance to meet up and share some beers. And he brought for me, I say for me, we drank it together. Um, we drank uh, the very first bottle that is going to be released as a part of his bottle club. And for those of you who aren't in the Seattle area, Mirage does a lot of different beer, but my very first introduction to them was through Saison. So that's all I had associated with Mirage, really, until he started putting out, uh, you know, 16-ounce cans of Northeast IPA. And it's a style that I, I enjoy, but I'm very particular. <laughs> and so when you see you know, someone putting out 16 ounce cans of hazy IPA, you're just like, do I trust this? Uh, the good news is, is they're delicious. They're great. I don't think I've had a bad one from him. Um, but it's funny because I always associated it with these, you know, 750 milliliter bottles of wild Saison. So it was a really uh, cool thing to be revisiting that with the beer that we're drinking, Anastomosis, which was what I thought was an interesting choice for name because upon Google search, you realize that it's a medical term for like an intestinal procedure. <laughs> but if you take it at kind of like the root, the etymology of the word, breaking down what it actually means is a connection or opening between two things that are normally diverging or branching. So I think that gives a really nice imagery of two objects going in a different direction a way that they normally are going is away from each other but then bringing those two oppositions together i think that's really nice imagery so i was excited to try that and uh also drank some fest beer we drank some fresh hop you know how it is and really got a chance to just go deep on some topics so if you haven't already, check out Mirage Beer and uh, follow me at Just Just Beer on Instagram at Shauna Brews and at Seattle Beer School, as always. So in this episode, we talk capturing wild cultures in a traveling cool ship, how you can have a love for both Saison and Northeast IPA, the infamous labels and how it's radicalized him and what he's working on now to be better. So grab a Mirage Beer. Maybe a wild saison, maybe Northeast IPA. We're we're talking all sorts of stuff today. Uh, crack it open and join us. Cheers. 
I had to rename my phone um, Nick Nolte because of a um, now infamous uh, what is what is it a Chromecast incident of Chrome Airdrop Gate Airdrop Gate uh, twenty nineteen. Um, we were having a big staff meeting, and um, they had like some issue with like the they were like you know streaming something and it like went down and it was all really fun like we were all having a good time drinking whatever and so i <laughs> was airdropping stuff onto the screen and not everyone thought it was funny <laughs> i mean listen it was all in good fun it was just a share sure. video um but they knew it was me because it said shauna's iphone and i should have renamed it before that so now it's Nick Nolte in case I feel like I want to be a fool again. If you ever want to airdrop someone and they don't know, it's coming from Shauna's iPhone. <laughs> Apparently this is a problem on the New York City subways of late, which is like, I think airdropping just became a thing like just prior to my leaving. I looked in like 814, right? Uh, but now it's just like, if you're on the, like you definitely have your airdrop turned off oh, if yeah. you're on the New York City subway. Um, I didn't realize that this was such a problem uh, in particular for women, but Oh. Uh, yeah, so apparently you're just like, yeah, you just, you want it off for sure. Um, yeah, Ryan, well, my husband will um, airdrop people while we're on a plane. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> he'll I airdrop so much. much. And I'm literally, I get so embarrassed when he does it because he's just, he'll just send them like a funny picture or something random. Right, right. It, but it is kind of fun to see who gets it because then they're like, <laughs> they like start looking all around and we're just like. <laughs> Dude, to be honest i think it's funny and if anyone gets mad at you unless you're like sending something inappropriate like yeah you no. should just be like that's funny i screwed up by allowing that to happen um yeah unless you're being a creep wait michael you lived in new york yeah i was there from like um the second day of 07 to late 14 Damn. like um uh yeah for a long time yeah so enough for it to do its thing you know where it um you're in love with it and it still rips your soul out and like, but you still, you kind of liked it. There's a little bit of masochism involved, um, you know. <laughs> so you guys are probably in New York at the same time then. Yeah, I lived there for about 10 years. Right on, right on. I yeah. can't believe we haven't talked about that. I moved in, what was it, 2007? Oh, so at the same time. About the same time. And I was there until about, what, five years, four years ago? Yeah. Well, so right after I we left, totally yeah. overlapped. Where did you live? That's crazy. Um, Bedsty at first for a few years, and then um, Greenpoint for a while, and then uh, East Williamsburg. They call it at the time. Now I believe it's just Williamsburg. Yeah. And then um, and then back to Bedsty again. Um, kind of which 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 was really odd to go back. Then even seven years after I first moved there, because it was so dramatically different than when I first moved there, which was like when I first moved there on the like you know, like I said, the first day of 2007, it was like the third day I was there, there were gunshots on my front doorstep. And then by the time I moved back there for my last year in New York City, it was like um, Spike Lee Disneyland. You know what I mean? It was just like, yeah, they were like, they're like, oh, yeah, it's rough here. You know what I mean? Like, not really. You know what I mean? It was just like there's white people coffee shops everywhere and gentrification happening rapidly. If anything, it was just kind of sad, right? It was. I mean, yeah, I saw the same sort of thing happening, right? Like I moved there and I had someone I had a friend who was, was moving out of an East Village apartment. So I I was it was like my rent wasn't bad for New York at first. Um, and then I moved out. All of your walk up. Well, it was a six-floor walk-up. Yeah, I knew it. 
<laughs> yeah, the Rain wasn't bad, but like, but I bet you, I'll tell you what, like, um, I say this in a non-creepy way, because I had a hundred step walk up late in my, like, my ass looked incredible. Oh, I bet. You know what I mean? Like, having mm, a six-floor walk up. Right? Yeah. Like, like I've, I've never looked better in my life. I've never felt better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, it was something else. I mean, I also, so I mostly spent the bulk of my twenties there then. Cause I moved when I was, I moved there when I was 23. Um, so like I've kind of became my own person there and I do think, I do think, and you, I agree. Cause I had the same experience where you go and I'm like, I'm going to be Broadway star. I don't know if you thought that, <laughs> like you thought you were going to be Broadway star, but you thought like, Oh my God. Yeah. And, I, and then I was like, Oh my God, God, New York is fucking relentless. Um, yeah. but I love that city still. I think it's so good at being a city um, Me too. in many ways, yeah. but, and it's, I've never been around so such like a diverse group of people, like everywhere all the time, like working yeah. with people from everywhere and everything. So I, I miss that a lot. But, Me too. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. I'm so happy to hear you lived there. It's so great. <laughs> uh, it was really fun. I think, um, I, I miss it. Um, and it, at times I, I don't just because of it's a little like uh, putting a, a vacuum cleaner in your pocket. Like the second you walk out your front door, you're just like, oh, wait, if I need water, if I need to use a restroom, um, if I need to actually be a human being, it's going to fucking cost me here. Um, and I really love that about that city. is <laughs> It's uh, it's democratic in that way and also punishing in that way. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I mean, if you don't come to it with a degree of privilege, like you're kind of at an automatic disadvantage and eventually you're going to fail, you know? That sounds, <laughs> sounds about right. Wait, yeah. So did you, where did you grow up then? Uh, I grew up here. So I grew up in, um, in like the Tacoma Gig Harbor area, went to Gig Harbor High School. Um, and then I went to Western. Oh, you went to Western? Yeah. Oh. yeah. I went to Western for about seven years. Still haven't graduated. <laughs> um, but then I got an internship at a radio show in New York City. And so I moved there. And um, then they hired me to write after I was done. And uh, so then I, I did that for like um, six, seven years, something like that. Yep. And um, so I'd never like applied for credit for my internship. So I never graduated or anything like that. Um, so were you studying media? No, not at all. No, oh. I was a, um, an English literature student um, at Western and at Excuse University of Washington. After that. But like, <laughs> right, we wasted so much money. It's incredible. Dude, um, I got, I got a degree in acting. So talk about wasting okay, money. Listen, between the three of us, English lit, acting, and film. And here we are in the beer industry. So Just a bunch of free stuff that we paid money for. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll drink to that. <laughs> Okay, before we get into the like bulk of this conversation, Shauna, what, what do you have to drink? We're drinking the Holy Mountain Fest beer right now, but we have some other beers as well. So I uh, maybe took a couple of beers from the Floodland fridge. <laughs> They're oh, not. Did you take from Junior? I'm. Uh, no, I took the other one, the um, the Pale Ale from the. Um, it's just called like Structures Pale Ale. It's like they just dropped oh, right. I've seen this. Yeah. It's like a collection of their, uh, you know, favorite hops. It's like a, it's more of a West Coast style for sure. Um, mm. But I did pour. I, I wanted to give this one a second chance. It's the fresh hop mm. Structures Double. It's swite. I I had a couple of the uh, Structures ones last night. I'm just like love pale ale. So whenever I can yeah. buy one, I'm like, please more pale ales. Yeah, man, I oh. I hear that. That's kind of where I'm at too. Like, 
I was making, um, because I have so much limited tank space, I often make like an IPA, of course, in the big tank. And then in my two smaller tanks, I would always have a lager going of some kind, usually a pale lager and, um, and either a double IPA or a pale. And then for a while, it was just like double IPAs. Um, and then I just got so, so burnt out on double IPA, which is, which is easy um, because the pressure comes from outside yourself. Um, yes. In that, yes. uh, my girlfriend will be like, roll her eyes, she'll be like, oh, you're making another double IPA. Huh? <laughs> or some of those gonna you're, like, well, you're like, I like to uh, get a paycheck. So that's probably why. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I switched to pails and, um, and my life has been happier for it. Do you want to open something else and we can kind of like start it with yeah, the first word, beer? Word. Okay. So here we have a, uh, oh yeah, that, uh, that cage just fell apart. Um, <laughs> a new corker cager. I'm still learning it. Um, this is a, uh, a, uh, a Saison I brewed in collaboration with Black Spruce in Fairbanks, Alaska. Um, and they contributed some raw Alaskan grains, including raw barley and raw wheat. Um, and we made just a really simple Saison. Uh, tried to keep it as low ABV as possible. I believe this is four, three-ish. Um, and this is one of the first releases for my bottle club uh, this year. Um, really interesting beer. Um, using raw grains is um, is really fun and uh, contributes a ton of minerality, which is our idea for sure. Um, also then fights you a little bit um, because of those micro elements um, as far as head retention. So you'll notice this here in the pour. Uh, yeah, no, it's a really interesting beer and uh, really fun and and raw and rustic and always kind of what I'm interested yeah. in doing with the Saison is like continuing to turn it on its head. Oh my God, it even went gook, 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 gook. It was like a cartoon pour. That was amazing. So Sean is joining us uh, via the internet. So unfortunately, she's not sharing this with us. So I, before we taste this, I just right off the bat, you say raw barley. Does that mean unmalted? Yeah, entirely. Okay. Yeah. Um, so grown just outside of Fairbanks in the plains outside Fairbanks. Fairbanks is like in Alaska. That's deep, right? Yeah, and it's not like Juneau. It's like... <laughs> it's fully central Alaska and walled in by mountains. So it's like this... It's like a pocket. So like in the summer, it gets like really hot because um, it like bakes in essentially. Mm -hmm. And then in the winter, like the opposite happens. So it's this like really extreme weird land in Alaska, uh, also home to one of its largest, uni largest universities. So um, just a really cool, unique community. My friend um, Carrie is from there. He and I met um, while working at breweries in Spokane. Uh, he was the head brewer at Noli at the time, okay. and now he is the founder, uh, along with his wife Steph, of Black Spruce Brewing up there, which is where he's from. Um, and so he brought these back, and we always wanted to make a beer together, um, in particular this style of beer. Cool. Um, so this is kind of, and uh, since I lived in Alaska as a young kid, um, from ages like five to, or sorry, uh, seven to twelve, um, I always wanted to kind of express that like uh, unique minerality that it has. Definitely. Hence the so you guys brewed this here or you brewed it in Alaska? Brewed it here. Okay. Um, and we brewed into a, um, it's called a demimuid. I think I'm doing that word right. Um, okay. But it's a large 600 liter puncheon. Um, uh, so roughly about five barrels. Um, an over large puncheon essentially that I've then converted. I've turned it upright, um, installed a manway on its top, like um, on its head. Cool. Um, port on its bottom, racking arm, uh, temperature. Uh, probe, all that kind of stuff. 
Um, and I use it for, um, yeah, kind of some of these like quicker turnaround saisons. Like yeah, this. for sure. So this saison um, doesn't have any buggies in it. It's a uh, clean. Oh, yeah. Full, full bugs. Full bugs. Uh, okay. so. I wasn't sure. You know, like saison is such a, you know, huge umbrella term. So I wasn't sure, sure if it was like we're talking saison DuPont style or, uh, you know. Um, well, well, I would guess that the DuPont strain is probably in here. Um, it's a big mix or something similar. Um, it's a spawn capture. Um, so it has um, a diastatic strain of uh, Saison strain of some kind. Cool. Um, I would guess maybe more than one. Um, and it definitely is lambicus dominant. Um, so um, I definitely I get that it it's yeah that like cherry pie thing a little bit. There's definitely fruitiness to it, right? Dude, that cherry um, pie thing like makes my dreams come true. I love that. Yeah, my, my yeah. It is uh, when I pick it up. It's like. There are a few characters. Um, there's one we'll talk about in a little bit, as well. That like that really like excite me when I get it on the nose and just like, oh, I know I'm in for like a fun ride here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hell yeah! All right, well, let's cheers. Yeah, yeah, cheers. <laughs> Ding. Yeah, so I carbonated this to about three and a half volumes. Um, nice. There's definite uh, minerality at the finish. It was harsher at first, so I'm I'm glad that's kind of softened around it, but. Um, there's a really interesting like white wine character to it, I think. For sure. I actually have tried to determine what these uh, demi-weeds, uh, I have two of them that I've converted, what they contained before I got them. Um, I know they're from Italy. Um, so for a long time, I thought, um, and I'm going to blow this, but Sangiovese, am I doing that right? Yeah, that was that right. sounds right to me. Um, <laughs> Isn't it Sangiovese? Um, yeah, I think phonetically, <laughs> that's right. Sangevice. It's uh it's a Sangevice barrel. Um but yeah, I um I don't know. So um but it, um the first beer I actually put into it was overpowering. It was so footy. Um mm. uh, or what's called I think isovaleric acid. So eventually I dumped that beer um and uh gave it a good um few hot cycles um and and reconditioned it in it. And now I think it's it's turning out good stuff for me again. Besides the raw barley, what were the other um, like interesting specific ingredients in here again? Uh, raw wheat, a um, uh, uh, spontaneous culture that I caught here in the Northwest. Cool. Um, I believe that one was caught in Seattle, actually, um, in Ballard. And then when I I should specify, when I first started Mirage, I traveled around. I built a system that I could fit into an SUV. I traveled around with my father and I um, I did full turbid mashes and spontaneous captures all around the Northwest. So um, Seattle, Tacoma, Bend, uh, the Oregon coast, um, even as far south as Sonoma. And um, that's like where I'm from. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that culture didn't turn out well. <laughs> well, I could have could have told you that. <laughs> I mean, historically, it's a great agricultural area, but it's. It's not what it used to be in terms of environment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially now. Right. It's pretty fucked. Yeah. Um, so the best one, bizarrely enough, um, was Tacoma. Uh, Tacoma is was the most beautiful. But Seattle had some really interesting notes, including uh, this really strong strain of what I believe is Lambicus. Uh, although that could be wrong. It also has uh, Castorianus, which isn't found uh, very commonly here on the West Coast. It's more, much more uh, commonly found in like... I think Maine, like Allagash, comes across it a lot. In sure, yeah. Um, and I could be. Did you find that out by just sending it to a lab, or just from like your sensory sort of? Uh, do, do you guys know Sean Slate at Slate Labs? Yep. Have you met yeah. Sean? Uh, 
Oh, yeah. that guy. So Sean's a good friend of mine. So he's performed some analysis for me and done some isolation and uh, has ultimately on a lot of these cultures refused to ca- I was like, at one point I was just like, so how many bugs do I have here? And he was like, man, I'm not going to count. He was like, <laughs> he was just. <laughs> Too much to count is the answer. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's a good thing. It means you got a lot working. Um, it'll go through some cycles, right? Uh, but yeah, so the, um, this came out really well. Um, and I think the barrel now is producing, um, or excuse me, the, the Demi Muid uh, is producing really, really fine beer for me. Yeah. What is really mm-hmm. interesting about this, Shauna, I'm sad you can't, you might be able to kind of see on the camera, but mm-hmm. do you see those active bubbles? It's like, oh yeah, like champagne. And the high, exactly. The really high carb on it is, is really nice. I don't know. And like, you like mentioned like lambic and I'm kind of like getting some lambic notes in, in terms of like rusticness, but then it also has like this really effervescent um, like mouthfeel. That's just really interesting because it's light bodied and it's rustic, but it's not like low carb kind of weighing down on your palate. It's really clean and it ends dry. Excellent. Excellent. That is uh, definitely the goal. I think when I'm trying to design a Saison is um, I want it to be really effervescent. Um, it is. And I want it to be low ABV, and I want to be able to drink a lot of it because once yep. I get on the Saison train, I'm just like, man, I'm so gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. A, I always say, Justin and I have talked about this, but I'm like, make Saisons dangerous again. Like, you remember when you used to like open a Saison, you were like, is it going to burr? I don't know. <laughs> yes. yeah. Oh, yeah. Not to use fucking Trump's language. I shouldn't have said that. Um, that gives it legitimacy. But I meant like a uh, les, les saisons est dangerous. Yes, yes. <laughs> we definitely, we need to make those shirts, dude. Um, <laughs> but I had one question. I'm copywriting that right now. I already, um, I already copyrighted it. You owe me money. <laughs> Don't even think about it. You owe me money. Wow, uh, she's fat. Yeah, that's how I work. It's all about the, that dough. Uh, <laughs> so the the Demi Mures. Muid, it's, it's spelled, uh, so it's a hyphenate, uh, D-E-M-I hyphen M-U-I-D. So I think, ah. I'm, I think I'm trying to do Muid or I, I don't know. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> so how did you get those? Like, where did you, you know, they're from Italy, but then you don't know right. anything else about it. You just like get them and you're like, okay. Well, um, a broker, uh, so in the, in the brewing industry, this is something actually that's not talked about a lot, um, but there are barrel brokers. So there's like, there are these, these these people that like travel the world or um, just have contacts, maybe with no travel, especially now. Right. Um, And they um, source barrels and they give you a list. Right. And the list comes out every once in a while to your, to your inbox. And you say, Oh wow. Like that's something I haven't seen that list before. I would really like that for my purposes. And so that's what I, I just bought two of them. They were very expensive. Um, And then, I, you know, actually converted barrel brokers is a topic I haven't really gone into yet, but I have some feelings on because I think it's kind of fucked up. (laughs) I think it's necessary because we do need to have a point of contact, especially in the beer industry when we use a lot of different types of barrels. Right. Sure. But the thing that I don't like about it at all is one, they basically control what's going out and what's available. For sure. And two, a lot of times they don't provide a lot of information on what the barrel is or where it's from. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to brewers who are like, oh, aged in red wine barrels. And I'm like, what red wine? And they're like, no idea. (laughs) That is kind of a problem because at least for me and Shauna, we focus a lot on sensory. Like I'm really big on tasting notes and 
creative tasting notes. And to get to that point, and even to build your vocabulary, you it's good to know the source of things. So it's like, oh, to know that, you know, uh, Grenache produces this sort of flavor, that's going to make sense as to how that's stuck in the barrel. And then we put beer in it, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, it, the wine is so big, spirits is so big, you can't just say this is whiskey and this is red wine. Like yeah, you should yeah. be knowing what's in it. And a lot of times they withhold that information and it drives me insane. It's true. And I think particularly relevant on that first turn, right? Like when you yep. when you go into that wet barrel yep. mm -hmm. um, and you're really gonna get a lot of that character. With this one, I actually wasn't happy with, like I said earlier, I yeah. wasn't happy with that character um, and kind of cooked it out. To yep. be honest, like or like as best I to. could, yeah. Um, because it was, I mean, I'm, I don't know about the province of the barrel or anything, but I just, uh, or maybe the wine was absolutely horrible or maybe it was just my poor, uh, conversion skills. Um, either way it needed more attention and more work. And I think, uh, a lot of the times when I, when I, when I confront a barrel, it's a little like wrestling it to get it to do what I wanted to do and a little bit of letting it do what it wants to do. And then trying to find some happy medium and blending that out. Can I ask you, is it like, um, if you are breaking in a wild horse. <laughs> that makes me sound like a cowboy. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's what you are. You're a wrangler of yeast, right? I'd say that so. brewers are essentially janitors and cowboys, but cowboys are kind of janitors too. But like, yeah, I, you know I'm what I mean? Like, when you have a new barrel, you're like, or a new yeast. I guess you're kind of like a cowboy. My new mop bucket, really. It's my new. <laughs> <laughs> I also copyright yeah. that, so don't steal it. <laughs> I, you know, what's interesting about the, um, when the back of your truck, you said you used to like to, your kind of traveling cool ship situation. Yeah. Uh, before, when I first moved here, I worked at uh Teku tavern and one of the first beers I had of yours was a Saison. Same. And it was the house of Jean. Oh, house of, uh, Jean Sibelius. Yeah. That was, uh, that's literally the beer I was about to look up right now. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that's probably the the um the best non-spontaneous beer ever made i think um that was definitely a labor of love in a lot of different ways in that all of the fruits in that in that blend uh were grown by generations by my closest friends families and uh <laughs> i'm not gonna talk about it too much because i'll be like a turn to a baby person but like i really liked it i really like, was really happy with how it came out all my friends grandparents planted those uh, those fruit trees and like yeah that was a, that was cool like beer. in this area yeah 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 that's really fucking cool oh, thank you um i really like that beer the label i was even done by um by one of their grandchildren my good friend chris campbell who is um an architect in san francisco very talented guy um but yeah i really like that beer i wish i had more bottles of it i think i have just one left somewhere uh waiting for chris to finally come back up and visit um, from San Francisco so we can, we can pop it, you know. That's great. <clears throat> so I was going to say about the cool ship, traveling cool ship. I just remember someone telling you that and I was like, dude, that's fucking cool. I just had never heard of anyone else doing that. And I think that's really um, a fun way to like test different like uh, terroirs, yeast terroirs of different areas. Yeah. And um, anyways, I thought that was really cool. So I'm glad to know that that wasn't folklore and that was real. Yeah, no, I really did that. Yeah, me and my dad did a lot of a lot of labor. I, like we essentially learned how to turbid mash together. I was like teaching him based on what I'd read, right? Um because yeah. I'd never performed one at a brewery prior to. Um and 
the first one, bizarrely enough, of all of the ones we did together, uh, turned out the best. That one in Tacoma. Yeah. Um, that beer then we eventually, it just became a single six barrel uh, we released at the Masonry's Farmhouse Fest um, I think a couple years back. Yeah. Um, and then we called it one. Um, it was really good. And uh, led to me meeting my brewing idol, who was Paul Arney at Ale Apothecary and um, a lot of other uh, fine people in the brewing industry. And so, Dude, it's good beer. I'm so glad you brought up Farmhouse Fest. I'm so sad we couldn't do it this last year. I know. What the hell? Sucks, man. I have so many good feel goods about Farmhouse Fest, like um, the prior prior year, and so yeah, damn. Yeah. It also Sorry. makes for a good nap too. Oh yeah. Uh, in, <laughs> Sean and I are pretty pro at drinking earlier in the day and then going to bed early. <laughs> That's definitely our speed. It's no like you. It's just making me think you guys having a lot of time in New York. It's not that twenties lifestyle where you're out right. until however late, you know, it's like, no, nah, we're going to drink early with the purpose of being able to go to bed on time. <laughs> Instead of 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's back up a little bit pre Mirage. Sure. Yeah. Um, and even pre brewing, um, uh -huh. let's talk about your gateway beer. What was the oh. beer that got you into beer? Oh, okay. Um, craft beer specifically yeah. was probably um, because I went to school at Western, mm -hmm. um, the Boundary Bay IPA or their Scotch or Cabin Scotch, Fever, yeah. which I think is their winter ale. Um, and I'm trying to think what else. Who Dude, else is brewing up there? Their Scotch ale is fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely authentic, uh, at least so far as – well, it's, it's now authentic to me, so I actually have no real frame of reference anymore because that is, that is my origination – origination point so yeah so now i just i'm like oh okay well yeah that's kind of like the boundary boundary based scotch ale yeah sure <laughs> that should be like the um example in the bjcp uh guideline dude like the, the way i'm at them not a lot the problem yeah. with uh we heavies is that like the only time i've never been to scotland um so like the only types you get are like Bellhaven or like traqual mm -hmm. traquero square whatever uh, house and like they're always like just fucking oxidized and you're just like god damn it there's no way this beer is bad but it is bad <laughs> yep pretty much and that right. boundary b ipa i don't know um that boundary b ipa bizarrely enough um i think it influenced a lot of people because it was very it was like i wouldn't want to say it's like third wave and that it was like the first juicy ipa but it definitely was one of the first to be like to drop bitterness back a little bit and um and kind of lean away somewhat from like the huge bitter san diego ipa bombs um it was the so maybe like a baby step toward what we now see as like this uh juicy slash um i'm gonna say a word i hate in hazy ipa trend uh but it wasn't you know like it was never the the brightest beer but it was it was close yeah yeah for sure <clears throat> so then post bellingham was that when you were in new york yeah, so I came to Seattle for a bit and then I moved to New York and um then I wrote for the show for a long time and like my my hours were weird in that um I only had to write where the show was live. So and the show was live from like six to about ten, three to four days a week. And at the end, just three days a week. So and I got a paid to full time salary. So after that I would just like go to the gym and then bike around the city. Show off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean like I uh I didn't know what else to do. Nobody else was like around to hang out. So I was just like, I guess I'll go to the YMCA. Um, so, um, 
Yeah. And then I would go to the local craft beer store, which was Briar Lane in Greenpoint, uh, Brooklyn. And I befriended the guys who worked there um, because I was the only person there to talk to for them <laughs> in the middle of the day. Uh, and uh, eventually one of them was like, well, if you're if you're working, if you're like you're working out, maybe you want you want to do something with your hands, like maybe come down and like flip some kegs. So I said, OK, so I did that. And then started i think like probably the monday after and then it was all over quit the writing gig started brewing and then yeah that quick well like it was about a year after it was like it was hard to give up that yeah uh the money but um eventually it, it was a shift brewery so it kind of became incumbent upon me to either commit uh to to brewing and to the to the the people i worked with um mm -hmm. by being able to shift swap because whenever they were on the same team as me be it in the keg hole the cellar or in the brew house like they couldn't they couldn't ever work mornings they were always stuck on the night shift and i mean that's kind of a weird move to do if you're in a shift brewery so um in order to kind of invest in my relationships with them and um invest in brewing in general i, I gave it up and then um started chewing through my savings as a brewer in brooklyn new york <laughs> so what what do you think was it that like got you hooked like you're at a comfy job you're writing uh for a show like that's basically my dream job you know, besides talking about beer and drinking beer, like, <laughs> so what hooked you to the point that you were like, all right, I'm willing to give this up for this? Well, I was writing remotely. So um, despite being in the same town as the show, I wasn't really interacting with anybody. You know, I mean, I was interacting with people like on a series of different, um, you know, platforms, but I wasn't really doing anything. I wasn't like speaking with people or interacting with them or doing anything with my hands. I got so sick of keyboards Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> that... Um, that when I was there in the keg hole flipping kegs and just like talking with the guy flipping kegs next to me, I was just like, this is awesome. This is everything. This is what I want. And then we got to have beers at the end of the day and um, complain about, you know, the black mold growing on the wall. And then, <laughs> and uh, uh, all of a sudden it felt like I was a part of something and yeah, I just really, really loved it. Yeah. yeah. So then um, you said you worked in Spokane as well. Right. So it, um, after that, I, I brewed in Bowie. Uh, at Bowie, excuse me, in Astoria, Oregon, um, for a year, and then I started con uh, consulting. So I helped uh, a couple guys open a brewery in Tromsø, Norway, um, and then I started consulting around Washington State as well, um, and still do some, but I don't ask for payment anymore. I just like uh, I don't need it. I can just yeah, <laughs> I can just hand that along now at this point, um, and and yeah. Yeah. And then right. I started Mirage, yeah. <laughs> All right. So when, okay, now fast forward to being in the van, doing your spontaneous fermentation. Yeah. At that point, was that Mirage or was that a project you were doing just for funsies? No. So I'd quit. I got frustrated at one of my uh, last gigs and uh, quit. Um, I think also, uh, one of the things I've always struggled with um, as a brewer is decision making above me. I am an independent person and uh mm -hmm. i get the feeling i, I know what that feels like <laughs> um and when uh when i when i will advise you with um as much research as i possibly can present of uh the best decision um and you choose option b instead mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. really what yeah, that, that tells me a lot it tells me a lot and it often tells me that i need to then make a step away yeah and um i took a step away and i started mirage and immediately built the the um yeah the the system that fits in an SUV and started doing that and started that whole process yeah all right and then now you're at the point where so you're the beginning of the journey was with saison and that was 
Uh, my first experience with your beer. And then you definitely started uh, putting out more cans, which sure. I I mean, I think your Northeast IPAs are really great. They're, I never get a hot burn. It's never over dry hops, which is an issue with the style. Um, but I kind of took that as like, okay, we need to pay the bills so I can do this well. Let's like pump those cans out. Like, <laughs> I mean, somewhat. So this is, uh, that's kind of true. So it's true in the sense that, so I always have, like, despite my love for Cezanne, it is not very affordable to drink mm-hmm. nothing but Cezanne. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I don't think I have to tell anyone that, um, especially really good ones. So I think, and especially the way that I wanted to make them, there was, I would easily drink myself poor, even if I was making it myself. So what I realized is if I'm going to pay rent here in um, in Seattle as a small brewery, especially as a essentially a tenant brewer or, or someone who is adjacent to another brewery, that I had to make... I had to make beers that I was also passionate about um, that sell really well, sell really fast and turn over a little quickly, mm-hmm. a little more quickly. Um, so lagers. Um, now, of course, I extend the terms of my lagers. My lagers are always at least, you know, six to eight weeks old, um, sometimes longer. I've done 12, I've done 16. Um, but with the IPAs, um, that was a style I've, I'd always wanted to master and had tried at a couple different consults prior to this. I wasn't really figuring it out, but I felt that was close. And it, I think it took me about three turns or uh, on the fourth turn as Mirage is when I really touched it, when I really felt like I was like, oh, okay, that that was it. That was the secret. Because I learned I learned one thing on batch one, one thing on batch two, one batch, and then finally I was able to put them all together. And then that fourth was like, I was like, oh, okay, I'm here. And so now I'm always adjusting and always trying to get better. But for me, like a style that I'm really really fucking passionate about is Northeast IPA. Like I fucking love making them so much. Uh, I really love um, hop combos. I love uh, playing with final gravity. I've um, I've now presented on, I, I do do a, a unique or I feel like a semi unique means of, of yeast harvesting um, that facilitates the style. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know. They're just, there's so Tell much me fun. They, they want me they allow me to flex a different muscle, I think. Sure, you know what absolutely, I mean? yeah. Um, right. And it keeps me keeps me alive. Yeah. I, I have two questions. Uh, yeah. So, the I'm with you. I I'm a hop gal. I love. I still love the bitter like grain flash stones. Sign me up. I still like <laughs> the aromatic juices. Um, I just can't get enough of it. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of hate that is like weird sort of hate that comes towards hazies nowadays from different sort of breweries um and are they really that different i feel like they're pretty uniform the ones the ones leveling that hate but but go uh, on uh yeah 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 uh yeah yeah you're right um but you know i think that they're it's a cool style and i i'm i'm into it and i especially like when people are passionate about it and are making it which you are and you can tell, you. you could tell when you, when you drink it. Um, so uh, I forget my question, um, but it was such a good one. <laughs> um, I'll ask another question oh, yeah. while you remember. Okay, okay. No. no, I have one. Okay. So, you know, if you drink um, the Alchemist, right? Heady Topper, you look at it, right. you pour it, you pour yours. They look different. They taste different. Right. And it's like, so definition of, okay. If you're looking at fucking VJCP, or Brewers Association style guidelines, they call it a hazy IPA or New England style. Um, 
so like what is your definition um it's interesting you mentioned topper because that was kind of the that was the aha moment for me i still remember the first time i had a can um and a yeah. friend had brought me down um i was in new york city a friend had brought me down that a can that was like a day or two old and I cracked it open and I poured it into a glass, which I think they recommend against no, on the can. The can says like drinking yeah. can. Yeah. yeah. But I was so curious. I was like, I wanted to see it. I was a brewer. I was like, yeah, let me see what your what your tricks are. Um, and I saw a lot of stuff, but then I smelled it and my it blew the my mind of the back of my head. I was like, holy cow, like this is real, this is possible. Um, and immediately set about set about um trying to recreate that um as best I could. But um I believe that that beer, if you were to pour it, is like probably closer in appearance to the Saison it, it than to my beer. Yeah. It doesn't look like the Seattle version of a Northeast IPA. <laughs> yeah. Mine is definitely egg drop soupy, as they say. <laughs> we're we're to the point where it's like it and Shauna, this is why this is such a good question, because it's like and maybe this is why you don't like the term hazy, which is the, the other question I was going to mm -hmm. ask you why you don't like that. Because it's like, so a hazy I IPA can look like what a West Coast IPA looks like these days because we're not as obsessed with the uh, concept of clarity. I think unless you're talking about loggers. Um, but in the IPA, IPA realm, I think that uh, visual isn't as important. And when you are watching people or you know purchasing a beer that is a quote unquote West Coast IPA, there usually is a tiny bit of haze in it. And for whatever reason, like it doesn't necessarily mean there's oats. It could be yeast. It could be, you know, like a cold like chill. The thousand pounds of hops you put in it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, right, I think go um, on. The, 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 we're like, we should, <laughs> we should really do a debate. Cause we're like so fucking polite. <laughs> <laughs> Right, I would tell you if you had a fly on your head. Oh God! I mean, like, unless Shauna was the actual an actual demon, which you know, maybe right. that's why nothing was said. Right. She does has the red hair. We should watch her closely. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm definitely on the demon side of things. You got but, the Rona? Uh, I got some sort of Rona. Uh, so like, okay, so it's the it's interesting because it's the only beer categorized by its appearance, right? There's other beers that are categorized by like it's a bitter. It's a this, it's that. There's no other style that's categorized by just, I mean, it's also called juicy, which would be better than the hazy. But right, you know, but, but sometimes they're not juicy. Like sometimes, like um the 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 function of the of the or how do I say this exactly? Um the wort is a composed not not to be juicy. It is composed to let those hops sing, right? And that doesn't mean you have to do uh, juicy hop combinations all the time. You can do like your, um, to use another word I hate, dank hops or your um, uh, your pinier hops, right? You can still do that in a Northeast style um, context. In fact, like I think I would guess like um, uh, Kimmich, whatever his name is at, um, at the Alchemist, I would guess that he's not using all traditional juicy hops just in the same way that Vinny isn't using um, all traditional piney hops in plenty. Like yep. it's just, um, it's, it's all about ratios and, and trying to find that. In fact, there's a great beer here. Uh, that's a, that's a good example. We should, we should talk about in a second, but, yep. um, uh, yeah, I feel like it, it shouldn't ever be parameters. Um, and calling something by its appearance is not a flavor that it just doesn't tell me anything about it. So that's why than, you hate the word hazy. I hate it. I, I absolutely fucking so stupid. 
it's stupid. And when I hear it ordered, I'm just like, oh man, I'm like, why don't you ask for like what you actually want in that beverage? Because like, people don't know is the problem. <laughs> they don't know. Right. Um, but if I want like they'd be like, uh, could I get like the uh uh the ju- the thing that's like uh juicy and looks like uh juice? I don't know. Hate or um, this is something that both of us have heard. Give me your haziest. <laughs> I'm like, sir, what does that mean? What do, what do you in the again? This is what I mean by like customers don't actually know what they want. They've tasted something, and they like it, but they don't know what vocabulary to use to describe it, right. which can be frustrating on our end, right? But oh, it's like calling something just a sour, being like, do you have a sour? Right, <laughs> and I'm like, well, you want a lactic one? You want a funky one? Yeah, uh, people don't know. They don't. One? Um, but Shauna, when you were saying that there's definitely like hate, um, that is surrounding that style, I have to admit that I definitely was that way, especially when the term hazy was really like a thing, like started, I don't know, what is that like four or five years ago when you kind of started seeing that pop up like on menus and stuff. And I, I, for one, I have an episode of the show being like, oh yeah, this is a phase. Like this is just a trendy thing that's going to go out of style. Like I legitimately believe that, but. But, but, you're, but you're right, because the word didn't mean, it doesn't mean anything so far right. as the experience other than visually, right? Yeah. So it is it is on its face. I mean, if you're a critic or a participant in the beer community, it is automatically empty. You're just like, oh, okay, so you're referring to the appearance of something. Yep. And you're like, okay, but this is the thing that we put in our bodies. We can't see it after that, right? So well, we um, could see it afterwards. <laughs> I mean, I do encounter it in various ways afterward, but I don't really don't feel like this podcast should be about that. Um, but yeah, so I feel like, um, one of the things that I like referring to is like, um, and I I do, I definitely level my beers in like the really crazy levels of opacity. Like it's, um, it's unfair. So I think if you were to look at mine, you'd be like, this is definitely one of the haziest things I've seen for sure. But that is a byproduct of the adjunct and in particular, the combination of adjuncts that I use, um, while composing my wart. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is, it's, it's not it's not without intent. It's not just to make that look. It is right. to make a taste and experience. And mouthfeel and exactly. all that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think like, well, it's a similar thing to like a wit, right? Wits are pretty hazy. Yeah. Um, and yeah. They're, they're not brewed to be hazy. They're, I mean, if you're, I guess you could, like some people are brewing things just to be hazy, but they're like not making good beer. So fuck them. But like a wit, is hazy and that is because of the ingredients and the way they want the beer to taste. Right. Yeah, totally. Yep. And I think the problem in why I um, kind of was very whatever about this style for a long time. And sometimes I am. And I think that's just because I'm being cautious is because, because it became so trendy so fast, every brewery was like, okay, we have to make this style. And it wasn't with the same level of, skill and thought that you're talking about with your beers it's this is what needs to sell because people are asking for a hazy ipa so let's do it and everyone did it mm-hmm. and none of them were good and i've 100 percent had more bad northeast ipas and i have good ones and it might be because i don't order them very often because you don't fucking know what's gonna happen but it's 100 true i'd say the same thing yeah it's also i think there's a, there's two parts here right like it always pisses me off when people brew things that they're not passionate about. Like if they're just trying to make money, you're just like, and maybe I'm just responding to like bigger breweries doing stuff like this is the hottest thing and we got to brew it so we can make money, which dude, your business, I get it. Um, but it's, then they kind of like ruin the style for everyone else. 
because it's like this beer is good and it's um, the style is great and cool and expressive. Just as any style has its as people are like they have it has its place and it should be respected for what it is, even if you don't like it. Um, but I think it's interesting just because you're I don't think you're alone in thinking that it was going to be a flash to the pan. Um, you know, like it, it definitely wasn't the brute IPA. <laughs> <laughs> One summer. One summer. One brutal, brutal summer. Wow. <laughs> but to get like deep, like, do you think that hazy, hazies, uh, New England, oh IPAs, the reason that they got so popular is a product of the generation that, uh, that came to, of age in the time that it got popular? Like, did it happen at once? Like, like, um, not to use any sort of like, it's not like I'm talking about millennials or whatever. Like they, it does, those kind of beers do res, remind you of, of fruits and of candy, at least for me. So is that like a generational thing is, what do you think? Michael? I, oh, um, <laughs> I'll take it, but you should answer first. I feel, I feel somewhat, uh, this is illustrative of, I feel somewhat awkward um, participating in this podcast at all because my favorite part about it was always that it, it represented voices that didn't sound like mine. And by that, I mean, it didn't sound like dudes or particularly like white dudes. So uh, <laughs> I almost don't want to, I don't want to interrupt because I just want to listen to you guys talk, but uh, <laughs> we'll talk all day. Someone needs to stop us. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. Uh, but yeah, no, I think, I think that is somewhat, somewhat true for sure. Um, uh, it's also like really easily palatable. You know what I mean? Like it's a way that I've been able to have conversations with my mom about IPA. Now she'll, She's like, she's on board. She's like, oh my gosh. She's like, I really love how this one tastes like orange or pineapple Aww. or, and, um, and the same way, um, uh, my girlfriend to a lesser degree, although she, she will, uh, she is on board for more better stuff. And I think, uh, the guys at Chuck's will tell you, um, Chuck's Top Shop is, uh, the number one retailer here in the Puget Sound area for packaged beer. And they will tell you that the people who are buying those, like, um, the slushy beers, right? So the ones with a ton of fruit puree, either fermented or not fermented, um, that those people tend to be very, very young. Um, and we're talking at the threshold of the 2021 20, uh, being able to buy beer category, um, that th they are great entry-level beers. And I, I think if, if you, I don't mean to treat them as such as entry-level because I think they should be just as high-minded as any other style of beer. You should have as much care and consideration into constructing them. And when I have done them, uh, that's exactly what I've tried to do. Um, but, but yeah, I think that's that's true of any generation. Every generation has its style that it came up with, right? Like mine was that Boundary Bay IPA, which was like maybe toe in to the to the juicy yeah. IPA category, but definitely you know eighty percent West Coast, you know. Um, and I think this kind of predicts who we become and where the industry goes in general. And it's really exciting and we should we should let it happen i think it's so cool i was just gonna say that it, i think the concept of generational drinking is really interesting um if we're talking about the evolution of the craft beer industry um because i think it was kind of on that threshold of like millennial gen x where it was like you remember when i mean when arrogant bastard was really big and the whole thing <laughs> was like you can't handle this because this is so bitter Dude, i and love it, was it like, so much <laughs> And that was like the bragging rights. Like, oh, well, I can drink this. You hate it. I can drink this. Like, 
fuck you guys a little bit exclusionary maybe and now the stone was like all about that right like, that was yeah. the, the whole stone identity was <laughs> yeah. we're so bitter right yeah and and, and that kind of like that pulled a certain group of people maybe a certain group of people of the same age um but then <laughs> now with this shift is a little bit more like okay like you're saying it's good entry beer it's kind of bringing in i mean for, if we're talking about like a capitalist mindset it's bringing in more money more people um but it is a little bit more open to be like hey you don't have to ha have a totally burnt out palate to drink this I, um yeah. and i guess that's a good thing it is a good thing i think that's so cool that that's the entry beer that um juicy be new england style beers the entry beer like that's incredible like think about like my parents like our parents because we're all about the same age like i think uh i mean i'm tw i'm 25 so <laughs> are you oh, oh man i'm only 24 i moved oh. to new york when i was like 14 oh but dude yeah that's the way to do it uh yeah. it, it's like our parents like what they their options were like bud miller you know schlitz like you know what i mean like Actually, she's saying bad, but you know, like there wasn't any like sort of variety. So it's really cool that that's the entry. And so like people shouldn't hate on it because it's better than like the alternative, which is just nothing or bland. It's, it's almost the same mindset that is like when I did this a lot when I was a teenager and just shows how fucking teenagers are when <laughs> you like a small band and they become big and maybe they get a song on the radio yes. and you're like, I like them before they were big or like <laughs> I don't listen to them anymore because they sold out you know shit like that where it's like they sing about girls now it's <laughs> yeah. so lame so it's like um okay but like what you like is given to more people now so like you're just mad because you put your identity into one thing and now other people are sharing it and you don't know how to react to that um but it's it's the same thing with beer beer isn't supposed to be for one group of people it's supposed to be for everyone there's a reason why there's so many different styles and so many different areas of the world that it develops their own type of beer and their own type of styles like everyone loves it and that's a good thing and you know maybe that's a little bit of that teenage angst that still exists in me where i get weird about things like that and it's something i have to unlearn oh uh, no never unlearn that because i think it's good to be quite like kind of be like fuck you at first like what the like you're a sellout you're this that and then be like okay no okay i think you're okay like so defensiveness first and then acceptance <laughs> um i think what what yeah every generation has always had is its transitional beer for young people right you have and this goes by region as well like you have your rattlers in europe right mm -hmm. you have your chocolatey dark milds like with low low mm -hmm. abv in in england right you have um Maybe you're like low bitterness rice lagers in, in Asia, right? So I think there have always been transitional beers. It's like just now these ones are a little bit sweeter, which um, seems, of course, on its face a little more unhealthy and evil. But really, we're just talking about alcohol. Like, so it's a sliding scale. <laughs> That's a very good point. Also, sugar's not all evil. That's also a thing of the 80s, right? Like, I mean, sugar <laughs> is evil, but like, you know, like you think about butter or like my husband and I always talk about this because I grew up in a household that had like just sugar and butter everywhere. Like, you know, like my mom just put it on everything and his household, like, you know, like spray butter. So like Mark, oh, like me and Josh were in the same boat, dude. That wow. was exactly my household. Yeah. And no sugar Splenda and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, 
which is, you know, not, I mean, no disrespect to his mother and his father for what they did, but it, it, it's just so interesting to be like, cause that's the way, that's what nutritionists said. Like, this is bad for you, blah, 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 blah. blah. And now yeah. they're like, oh yeah, you know, eggs and butter can't be all that bad. And also maybe yeah. don't drink like a gallon of sugar every day, but if you have some sugar, you're going to be okay. Hey. <laughs> yeah, we're fine. So we just opened, uh, Shauna, the um, the latest, I believe they've done this three or four times? Oh, I think yeah. three. Um, Wet Wired, which is a annual collaboration between Cloudburst and Holy Mountain, two very well-regarded breweries here in Seattle, Washington. Um, and what I love about, and this is so, I feel very often with Holy Mountain IPAs in particular, uh, although this one was brewed at, at Cloudburst, um, is that they capture what I, um, one of the the easiest um, hop oils, and maybe the most volatile hop oil. It's the first one to leave. It's called Geraniol. And um, it, I always, I don't know how they do it. Is that, they part, really, is that part of the Mercine? sort of family that like it's like yeah so yeah one of them but um but uh, mercy i believe that is a separate hop oil so we're talking about a different and usually uh geranial is in a much smaller concentration so we're talking it's usually like 0.1 like if you mm -hmm. if you were to see um and i believe this is in grams per liter but if you were to see like say 1.0 it would be pretty shocking um or maybe this is parts per million even um but geranial has that very i mean you guys, you guys have had geraniums before in your yeah, yeah. in your home, I'm sure, right? Um, it has that very specific. Um, and in fact, at a certain point, I um, I made um, uh, priming sugar with ger with geranium leaves to to, 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 to express Interesting. this specifically uh, with a graph I did. And I think dude, that's cool. Have. It was really fun. Uh, I just used the Martha Stewart technique. You can look it up on Google. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so but this they they always have this way of capturing geraniol, and I don't know how they do it. Um, I would love to ask them someday. Um, but they they their beers so frequently express this characteristic, and it is like for me like one of those things like we were talking about earlier with with lambicus that cherry pie character. It is the one of those things that you seek out, and then the second you smell it, you're just like, all right, this yep. is gonna be a fun ride. Yep. Like, let's go. This beer smells incredible. I mean, it tastes incredible too. Um, I remember last year's wet wired being. Oh shit, it's 2020. Two years ago, I think was the last. They must have done what wired four years then. It doesn't matter. Um, but I always have it. I just haven't had it yet. Hopefully I can still get it. It um I definitely am like getting a little bit of lime. Like yeah. there's a little a little zest. What else is there? there? What else? Tell me, tell me everything. I see, I want to say saw bro because I feel like I'm picking up a little bit on some sort of sure. coconut, but I might be wrong. Okay. Um, that could be a, a yeast ester as well, right? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, uh, what's it, the it's like the tropicalness like? is there, but it's not intense at all. Maybe some like mellow pineapple. Sorry, what was the, your question? What's the bitterness like? Hmm. Pretty balanced. Like I don't feel like we're too out of pocket. No, it's it's dry and you get the bitterness at the finish for sure. So it's like it's kind of this fruit up top, finishes dry, a little bit bitter. It's like made a cloudburst. <laughs> yeah, I was just yeah. gonna ask. I was like it doesn't taste like a cloudburst beer to me. <laughs> the crazy thing about cloudburst, right, is like and we've talked about this before, is that they're they're not making New England style IPAs. Definitely not. 
you're right. It's like this weird hybrid, like accidentally hazy IPAs. I, yeah. I, that's, I, that is, it, that, that's not even the, the right thing to say. It's like, because they're bitter. Um, yeah. But they're still juicy. Uh, makes, that's what makes them so cool. Like, they're, yeah. uh, Steve definitely saw this like lane and was just like, this is what I want beer to be. I'm going to take it here with my brewery. And, mm-hmm. Um, and that's why Cloudburst kind of serves as a beacon for that style in particular. I think, so. I think if you're looking for a lot of been written recently, I think Jeff Allworth was, was writing about it a little bit. My boy. Uh, he's our man. We love uh, him. Love Allworth. <laughs> I love giving him shit on Twitter, but also I love him. So he's my favorite. You know him? Writer. You need to interview him. Um, Are you friends with him? No, no. Uh, I think just like uh, within the industry, calling him by his last name is a common thing. So I, it's not that I know him. I just... Uh, uh, well- Let's it's like Shellhammer. You like you call Shellhammer Shellhammer. Like I wouldn't call him Tom. I feel so awkward calling him Tom. Yeah, don't don't do that. But uh let's can we like find a way to um meet Jeff Aylworth Alworth Aylworth? We oh. o- we've always called him Aylworth, even though I know it's Alworth, but it's just I want it to be Aylworth. Oh, and his co-host, who is his best friend and the, the economist from uh Oregon yes. University. I feel like um what what I love about their podcast, which shares, which uh, your podcast shares, is that the friendship comes through so palpably. Hell yeah. Um, and uh, that's what makes it such like an enjoyable listen is because it really does feel like you're seated at a table with friends. And their podcast does that. They speak to each other so warmly, just as you two do, um, that you automatically want to meet them and you want to be their friend. But you you know, obviously, yeah. you're never going to intersect. Like, they're, they're going to be the best friends. You'll be the first <laughs> <laughs> no, you could be, be an honor to have a beer with them. Right. It's a tricycle. Tricycles are necessary. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh anyways, can we please find a way to hang out with him? Thank you. We do. We need to. Yeah. It's just it's just totally sucks this year. I I get really bad about like going to Portland in general. It's not far away and I don't go there enough and it's an issue. One of the best train rides in the world. Uh, dude, and I've never done the train before, which Jess. I should do because then you don't have a car. Jess. What? What? Let's take the RV down there. You need to take the RV, right? <laughs> How about we just put our husbands and your child in one place, and then we take the RV. You're parking husbands now. Wow. Um. Okay. The yeah, boys can have a weekend. Long-term husband storage. This is what's gonna happen? Josh and Ryan, Josh is gonna stay the night at your house yeah. with Finn. Yeah. We're gonna take. We're gonna take the RV to Portland. Yeah. <laughs> we need to do it and it's like it's it's been way too long that i've been there and i'm always like oh, i should go to portland i should go to portland and then a pandemic happens which we can't travel for who fucking knows how long but i have an rv so we can't i know because we would be safe let's go okay we're gonna make this happen you can come to you michael <laughs> <laughs> you can sleep in the top bunk though okay that's fair that's fair that's fair you can, actually i'll just sleep on the sidewalk i can i can hang i'm all right I always wanted to be like my idol, Paul Arney of Apothecary, a uh, to own 100% of my business. But what I think um, this 2020 has taught me and the pandemic is that in Seattle, it doesn't make sense. In uh, the woods outside Bend, it makes like, a ton of sense. Uh, yeah, for sure. So you're, like, being a really small operation. But in order to support um, myself, my family, and the people that I want to support, and by that I mean the brewers I want to hire – um, the taproom people I want to hire. Um, taproom. Tap yeah. <laughs> um, I think me. <laughs> um, that I then I have to be a little bit bigger. And um, 
I think I'd like to trade some of the flexibility that I currently have for some capability. And Absolutely. In order to do that, I need to take take on some outside investment. And what I've learned is that that's not the worst thing. In fact, those people are often assets, like in an incredible way. Mm-hmm. They can help you do things that you have, like it would take me years to learn how to do what this person I'm going to meet with is can is able to do, like the data analytics that he can perform. Mm-hmm. The um, another investor I'm I'm speaking with, like the way that he can design a sound system for the tap rooms, like there's just no way. Like, you know what I mean? I would just spin my wheels and waste money. And um, being inefficient is um, a phobia of mine. And <laughs> what what these uh, what these folks can do for me yeah. is, um, is a profound thing. And why not lean on them, right? Yeah. You know what I think about as like a, you know, an art, an actor, you know, former actor, or like artist, and something that my husband and I have talked about because he was also a director. It's like, there were always like, people that supported artists like producers uh, right yeah producers and like uh people of the arts like if you're an artist people would like what is that word when they give you money for doing your art because i've never what is it um when you're a oh man great sponsor investor what's it called when you're uh you're like patron a patron thank you you guys said it the same exact (laughs) nice like there's always my stupid living race and like (laughs) the problem yeah yeah you you know English, um, like and Ish. you know I always fight it because of my angst and because I'm stubborn and I got my goddamn red hair, but like you know there there's something and I don't like to ask for help, but like you know sometimes people are good with money and know how to get money, <laughs> yeah. and that's that's there's no shame in that, dude. Right, and like Jess and I were we were just talking right before we started recording actually. Aleworth. No, Al- Jess, Al- not Jeff. <laughs> oh shit! Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Literally, every time I order a pizza, it's under the name Jeff because people can distinguish between an F and an S. <laughs> oh, sorry, Jess. I was like, wait, you were talking about you were talking to Aylworth about this? Did I see Jeff? Did I see- <laughs> no, you didn't. You oh, didn't. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, we were just speaking before the podcast, before we started recording. I said, definitely, you know, one A of a brewery and any businesses job is of course to generate capital to ensure its survival right but one b i think should always be uh its ability to to provide not just like livable but decent wages for the people who work for it such that they can live in the areas where it exists and survives and um so they can participate in that community and um the fact that so few breweries do this is um why i'm not why I'm not super bummed when they start closing and just like, okay, well, you clearly didn't do that thing, right? Like you, you decided to send beer nationally rather than investing locally. You decided to um, cut rates on employee salaries in order to survive for a little while. Like, um, and I'm happy to see you fucking go. You know what Uh, I mean? Fucking amen. And the thing is (laughs) too, is there's, I mean, this could turn into a whole tangent, but I'll try to keep it short. Um, <laughs> no, I like this tangent. Go, go. There are a lot of breweries in this city that employee respect and employee pay is n- not even the top ten of their consideration, and they're doing good. They're doing just fine. Oh, because they're you doing know. you. They're doing you a service, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank right. Yes. Yes. Oh, you are how great we have granted you the privilege yep. of working here. You should be lucky. <laughs> 
He'd be thanking <laughs> us. Yeah. Um, and it's the insane. biggest lie the brewery industry ever told. Uh huh. And I, you're lucky to be here. I, yeah. I, you know, respect that so much that that is like one of your values and one of the things that if you're looking to expand what you are and you're going forward with stuff that is just kind of built into what you're doing. I do want to give a quick shout out to Adam Pacey at Floodland. He does the exact same thing. Um, right. where he only has a couple employees basically and is like apologizing for paying an hourly wage that's $10 plus over what anyone else working in a brewery is getting already. So it's like you can tell those are the real ones that there's actual integrity there and that you can't run a brewery by yourself. So like if you have someone that's on board that you respect and is like there for you in accomplishing your goal, like paying them appropriately is what you have to do. It's wild that this is a, somehow a, a a new or novel concept, Isn't it especially in Seattle. Insane. In Seattle, our biggest brewery in Seattle, uh, one of its partners ran for city council on the concept of fighting the minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh my God, yes. Yeah. Appeal to brewers, like being like, "Oh, vote, vote for me." I'm running for city council on this concept. Like, essentially, that was, uh, I'm going to use th- that was their uh, principal thing was that, that that's what they were fighting. They're like, "Oh, it's unfair to small business." And you're like, you're first yeah, of all small. and the way they combat that is taking tips from front of house and giving it to back of house so they don't have Just to raise wages. Wild as fuck, in my opinion. Wild. Like you can't. It's so unfair. Like. Tipping, that's a whole, we have to have another podcast about that. But like, oh, yeah. tipping, tip, tip wages concept, right? Like it's what Trillium fucked. abuses in Boston, right? Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, fuck them. Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. But like, you can't promise, like, oh, well, you're going to make $7.50 an hour. But after tips, who knows? $50 an hour? Yeah. And you're like, if your pants are tight enough, you're going to earn real well. It's just like so unfair and so insane. So it's like, okay, so you could buy your second house, but your employees can't yep. even afford rent. Like that's not moral. That's immoral to me. That's not a way to run a business. Like, I just think that's like insane. It's anti the industry. It, it pretty much means you've looked at the yeah. industry as a means to a capital end, right? Um, rather than a thing to live in and be a part of for the rest of your life. So um, I'm not, um, and maybe this is, I probably shouldn't broadcast this part to my girlfriend, but I am not at any point going to be like out of beer. Like it is, I am going to continue being in beer and probably until I expire. So um, (laughs) as such, I should uh, treat it and condition it to be the thing that I want it to be a part of for the rest of my life. Right. Um, I'm not just going to pull out because, oh, I've had kids now and they're in high school and like, oh, I'll sell this off. Like, no, this is a thing I want to do and I want to continue to explore. There's a reason why I'm here and why I decided to found this business um, within this industry. Um, it's because I believe I can make um, active and positive change in it. And um, we can see it um, to a place where it represents the entire world, right? Like, <laughs> 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to ask you something. No, no. Yeah. Is this the shit talking portion? Can we talk shit? <laughs> Always talking shit. But, you know, a topic I took on with uh, Brandon Wiley when we had an episode was um, the concept of, like, cancel culture right now and how a lot of people are, especially with people having more time on the Internet, you know, it's like it's really easy to go all or nothing on someone. And where one, I think, is really good to expose injustices, um, 
I also think that people need room to grow. I think that it really sucks if you make a mistake, all of a sudden you're like blacklisted or like, you know, totally cut off from things or, you know, because the internet is so powerful, who knows what the fuck's going to go viral. Um, you know, you know, your meme pages can contribute to that. Oh, right. So um, obviously you're re referring, and we'll let's just do it explicitly. So um, early on in the brewery, uh, or actually not super early on, but like about a year and a half ago, year and a half, uh, I made a mistake. So I um, drunk, like, so I always generate all my beer names uh, somewhat drunkenly. That's fair. Um, and I came up <laughs> with a co label concept, right, where I paired um, some labels that referred to uh, um, uh, like South – South Central Los Angeles gang culture. And then I paired it with like bandana backgrounds, right? Um, which is insanely insensitive, right? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put this out. I send it off to my designer and he was just like, great, generated it, sent it back. I sent it to the printer. Um, I don't even think about it twice, right? But what the problem is here is that, and this is like true of the echo chamber that is uh, running a one-man brewery and working in the beer industry in general and being a white person and a white male in particular in this world, right? Is that there's so much reinforcement just like just spin wheeling for you, right? Mm -hmm. um, so when the beer industry in general, like, um, and uh, specifically uh, via social media, um, they they were like, hey man, like don't, don't do this. Now it was a little more forceful than that. And you're calling it cancel culture, and I, I disagree with the concept of cancel culture because I think, I think those uh, cultures should be a check and a balance to how you behave in the sure. world, right? Yeah. So, um, that was the most profound gift the, bre the brewery industry ever gave me, um, because what it was just like was like, hey man, I was like, you have like you have this opportunity essentially to, to say a thing, and you're 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 doing it the wrong way, and you're trivializing essentially gang violence and how marginalized people. Um, have been further marginalized by that violence. So, um, and for me, it then served to radicalize me. Um, and I was already a pretty like radical person, or at least I thought of myself as that way, or as an edge, uh, as an educated person. Sure. Um, but that doesn't mean you're without your blinders, right? Mm -hmm, always. Um, and so, um, so now I just think about constantly, essentially what it's done is it's conditioned me to always think now, first and foremost about that um about that error or how that I might be making that error without seeing it right um and it's created some friction like in my personal life even as well like I'm I'm always thinking of this sure. um where it is um because I think this is the way how this is the function of how embarrassment works a little bit um I don't know if you guys know and you but like sometimes like even in the dead of night or first thing in the morning, you'll think about something embarrassing you've done in your life. Oh, and, a little lie away at bed, uh, right? awake in bed, like right? at 2 a.m. Yeah. I've never done and, that. And I'll make this like moose sound and it's involuntary, but it's like this, mm. you're like, you're just like, it just comes out of your, it comes out of your soul because like, you're just so embarrassed. Right, and, like, right. Because you know that's, that's not who you are and that's not what you wanted to put into the world. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually that just, starts to condition you right like um so now it is like um and well i say well, like, well now it is served to radicalize me so now it is just made so apparent how fucking fucked all this is right um mm -hmm. how um fucking wrong the idea of police and policing is wrong uh how fucking wrong it is that we allow people like um our president to exist how um i think the people who are anti-mask 
people who are our elected officials, the people who are in charge of policing us, um, don't care about us. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are then by virtue of that dying on mass. And I like, it's wild that I have to underline the fact that dying on mass is the end result, but that is what's happening. Dying on mass. And so, uh, that, that just, it's impossible to look away from. And I think, um, has now, this is then the next step. And I'm sorry for ranting a little bit. No, 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 please. Um, this is the next step is now I have lost patience for businesses that operate in the realm of I'm a business and not a political entity Mm -hmm. because that is fucking impossible. Yep. Because again, people are dying on mass. So by, uh, by what, you can call it law enforcement. They're motherfucking cops to me. They're pigs. Uh, they're um, elected officials. They're anti-masker, ignorant weirdos in the uh, outlying communities that like come in and police us. It is wild as fuck that we found ourselves here um, and allowing them to kill us. But we should just fucking look at them in the face and realize yeah. who's killing us. Um, and businesses who say, I'm a business, I'm not a political entity and we're like it's not a thing anymore that no. is no longer that can no longer exist uh that has passed the people who could say that they're not i don't i don't get into politics i just don't, <laughs> I don't like care. politics you know what you're fucking complicit and you're part of the problem Entrance politics mm-hmm. politics is everything mm-hmm. in yeah. my opinion like if you're not political then what's wrong with you like then you're not seeing what's going on right in front of your face. And, you know, like as a business, I think it is your responsibility. If we're going to be a capitalistic society, democratic capitalist society that we are, that it is your moral uh, it is on you to pick a fucking side. You supposed to be a human being. Yeah. You can't just, that doesn't mean like just because you're a cop means you could just do whatever you want. Right. Like, you're insane. not insane. You're a cop, you're a cop on like it is a it is a job that we hired you for. Um, and also, guess what? All of that struggle, all of the hardship of being on the job, that is what the money is for. That's what it's for. It's, it's a for. job. It's a job. Pay you, man. Yeah. And yeah, to kind of like bring this back to, you know, all three of us are white people, Sean and I like not admit we we constantly say like yeah we're women and like we experience things differently because we're women but we also have a lot of advantages in our society a lot of things that we are complicit in a lot of things that we don't even need to think about because it's just inherent to what we look like and i think a lot of what we have to do a lot of work that i mean obviously this is present in the beer industry but this goes beyond that this is just society in general it's like it's really thinking about every decision we're making, especially if you're a brand, especially if you're a company, a brewery that is putting out images and if you have a good following because you make good beer, et cetera, et cetera. It really has to be more than what do I like? Uh, Oh, this is what I think is funny. It has to be more than that all the time because everyone else who doesn't look like us, that is their experience every second of their waking life and even not in their waking life. It's not a joke for them. No, exactly. No, we so owe like, it. We owe it to like our fellow human beings. Not like it's it's such a privilege to be able not to think about that. So it's like exactly. we owe it to people that are, you know, our brothers and sisters in this fucking yeah. world to like just be like, oh, well, whatever. 
And that's why it's so important for us to be uncomfortable, to have these conversations and to be bold and say things and make your uh, like date code stamp say a cab, you know, like <laughs> it's our daily that. work. Right. Um, especially I feel like that I did the other day. Right. Um, or a few months ago, I think if you are in a position of a privilege to be able to say something like that without consequence, mm -hmm. um, it is almost morally incumbent upon you to do so. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, that for me was just like, it was very much like how I, how I felt at that moment. Um, but also how I still feel now, of course. And I think um, that is our job. I think um, as, as, as decent folks in the world uh, and I don't know if we'll ever be able to correct it. Um, but um, there is like, it's a, it's a, it's a daily thing. Mm -hmm. It's a daily call um, to try. Yeah. And something that Sean and I talked about too, is like, we think you did a really good job in terms of like your apology was very genuine. It was very much like I fucked up and I'm going to do better. And that's literally all we want in these sorts of apologies in these situations is to own up and say, I made these decisions because of my privilege and I'm going to do better and then do better. Right. Um, and it's fascinating how often that doesn't happen. So it's actually exceedingly rare. I've noticed, especially as a as a person who, who, who I, I, I fell on that side of the coin, right? But it's so wild how. And you guys, you want some industry gossip? People who fell on the other side, like the people who doubled down and shit. It's wild how often they reach out to me and who are just like, mm -hmm. "Hey, man, through this thing," and I'm just like, "Fuck you, motherfucker!" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I was like you still don't get it. Are nope. you serious? Like, I was like, you think I'm somehow on your side? Did you not fucking read what I said? Like, what, what is wrong with you, man? Like, yeah. you're broken. Like, yep. get out of here. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's, okay. it's like, it's like, okay to make a mistake. Like, make it, we all make mistakes. We're all going to. Right. Like, I'm no, no, like, like that is in fact the, like the condition of humanity, right? Is that we make mistakes. That's the, like the blessing of it. Right. Like if we were all perfect, like what fucking fun would this be? But <laughs> I think what, what's what's awesome and what's rich and what's uh, what leads us to grow and maybe is like the entire fucking meaning of life, right? Is that we get to evolve and change and like we get to have these like these new synapses fire in our head where we're just like, oh, well, maybe it's like this. Maybe it's like this. Maybe our world is bigger and bigger and bigger. And like that's the best part. But like, but if you're trapped in this in this like channel where you're just like hey man yeah we got beat down by cancel culture and you're just like you're like man you're so fucking deep in a hobbit hole dude like wow uh yeah. so yeah i think uh it, it's been exciting to see how um uh i don't know if it's exciting is the word but it's been like it's been uh rewarding to see how people respond to um uh, not just change but also my own humanity and uh, my capacity for error and for acknowledgement of error. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's because kind of while I'm like fucking honored to be a part of the, the beer community in particular, right? Um, I feel like we are maybe particularly um, conditioned uh, to be amenable because we have the assistance of alcohol, right? Like, so we can be like, we're like, oh, like, you know, he didn't, he didn't, you know, he didn't mean so bad, but like, but I think, um, but it still serves as an example to um, industries without that assistance in that um acknowledging acknowledging your mistakes and not just acknowledging but like uh, truly demonstrating how, an understanding of what mm -hmm. was wrong right um is um is paramount um and and should be uh, a matter of course in 
the new world of 2021 beyond our Cheeto president. Uh, uh, the Cheeto has been dusted. <laughs> Hopefully. That's yeah. that's my, my friend Amanda said that. I should give her credit. When he got COVID, she was like, the Cheeto's been dusted. Yeah, well, you know, it's really easy for people to make a mistake and then do their best to cover it up and be like, oh, no, 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 well, you're reading it wrong and that's not what I meant, and which is an issue in uh, white male America, right. probably across the world. Because it's not about what I meant. If the worst thing that, I mean, the best thing that happened in that scenario is that you became more radicalized is such a great lesson. Like once you have these hard conversations and you fuck up and you misstep, which we all have had, you know, these hard conversations and fucked up and made the wrong steps. And what happened is that you were more on the side of good. Yeah. That, that positive for sure. Um, and also, thank you so much for sharing some beers with, I want to say us, but it's really just me. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Shauna. And uh, wow. super excited about this new beer. I don't know if it'll be out by then. It'll be out to Bottle Club members at the end of the month. And cool. then uh, this one won't be exclusive. So they get, of the of the eight beers they get every year, um, four, half of them are exclusive. This one is not exclusive. The blend was a little bit larger. Um, so some of this we'll see, but it's going like, to be so few. It's like... Don't don't look for it, please. <laughs> Dude, I don't want to that. How much is it gonna be on the secondary? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Christ. I'm gonna jump <laughs> off a bridge now. <laughs> Fremont Bridge is actually really close, isn't it? Yeah, good luck. Uh, yeah, yeah well, thank you so much for showing uh sharing this beer uh, before it's released. It was delicious. I really love the direction that that's going, and I've always loved your Saison, so you know, oh, thank you. for as good as your Northeast IPAs are, hope to see some <laughs> bottled wild stuff as well. Right. Um, Shauna, any last thoughts? Um, uh, so there's been a lot of geese flying south. <laughs> I hear them right now. It's been happening every night. If you were a goose, where would you fly? Me? Well, yeah. I'm actually half Canadian, so this is a good question. Oh um, shit! I wouldn't go all the way south. I'd just go to Tofino, right? You go like, where? You go if you're a Tofino, Canadian, BC. Tofino. It's like it's a surfing oh. community on the on the western side of Vancouver Island. Like, oh, out there, like it's gorgeous. If that's your answer, you know, that's your answer. Just yeah. if you were a goose. <laughs> mm, you know, I think I want to say, um, you know, from California and California definitely has my heart, even though I don't think I'll ever live there again. Um, Santa Cruz is probably the city that yeah. has really got so many good memories for me. It's probably the only place in California I'd ever live. Um, I think I'd go down to Santa Cruz, eat some good burritos as a goose, um, maybe hitch a ride on the roller coaster, the wooden roller coaster at the boardwalk. Um, a wooden one. The wooden one, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been there rough like, on the bones. Those wooden ones. Oh, real rough. And also, it's been <laughs> around like since the 30s or some shit. So who knows how safe? What about you, Shauna? Uh, okay, if we're gonna just keep on the West Coast, I'll I'll stay with there with you, and I'll go to Big Sur. Oh uh, yes. You know a lot of cliffs though. So like, if you're a goose, like if the wind goes wrong, you're hitting yeah. some rocks and you're out. But I can fucking fly. So who cares? <laughs> You're saying you're a strong goose. You're a strong <laughs> goose. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. I've never. Yeah. I'm a strong goose. Um. All right, Michael. Thank you for joining us. Of course. Thanks for sharing all the beer and your insights. And, um, you know, look forward to drinking your beer in the future. 
Yeah, I got more for you, so hold on. Okay, cool. All right. Cheers. Later, Shana. Bye. Bye. That was a Titan Cast episode.